Hi, welcome to Two Teachers Talking. This is episode 132, and Tony will not be joining us today because I'm going to be interviewing my daughter Sophie, who is a freshman at McGill University studying education. And Sophie just completed her first observation where she went into classrooms and watched what was happening so she could see and learn about education and teaching. And this is a required part of her education. And we're going to talk with her because Tony and I thought it would be so interesting just to see what it's like for somebody who's starting out in the teaching field and get an idea of what they see and what they feel. So I hope you enjoy it. And let's get started. So Sophie, welcome to the show. And why don't you just introduce yourself? Okay. Um, so hello, I'm Sophie Riz. Um, yeah, I'm currently a first year student in Majo University majoring in kindergarten and elementary education. Just finished my first semester, as well as my first field experience. And just until this June, I was attending an international school in Japan. I'm still in Japan, by the way. Um, but yeah, I just f finished my IB diploma program. So, And IB is? Oh, I'm sorry, International Baccalaureate. Right. So you went to Canadian Academy out in Kobe. Oh, That's I didn't know I, I could say that. <laughs> oh, we should. Oh, oh, it's out. It's out. It's secret. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly no all my life has been exposed. Onto the internet. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay. And um, tell us a little bit about before, when did you start going to international school and what did you do before that? Um, so I transferred to international school when I was in third grade. Until then, I was in the Japanese public education system. So from the very beginning, kindergarten up to third grade, I was in Japanese school. And then you had a quick change into international school. Yep. So, um, and it's maybe it's an interesting thing because when you went to international school, you really weren't fluent in English, were you? Yes, I still don't know how I was able to communicate with you until then, but yeah, I somehow, I barely knew any English. I was just, I threw myself in there and I somehow managed to survive and come out fine, I guess. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Well, we used to speak English to each other. Yeah. But I think I'm, reading and writing, you were not really quite up there. Hmm. So anyway, okay, so tell us about McGill. Um, you're in the elementary, what, the K through 5 program, it's what it's called? It's officially called kindergarten and elementary education. Okay, and you want to be an elementary school teacher? That's what I'm thinking so far. I'm really passionate about that age group, I guess, especially in the later half around maybe third to fifth grade, that area I've been working with those, that age range a lot since maybe end of middle school. So I feel comfortable and I've 
had enough enough chance to really work with those children to build my passion based on those interactions. Okay, and when you say that you've worked with you know third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, in what capacity did you do that? Um, so in the school I've attended, there's this mentorship program which pairs an elementary school student with a secondary school student to build a relationship throughout the entire school year. So I actually was a mentee when I was in fifth grade. So that really pushed me to want to be a mentor when I grew up. So since the youngest grade age, I was allowed to be a mentor. That was eighth grade. So through eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, I was I did I joined the mentorship program every year to be a mentor, and those students ranged from third grade to fifth grade. Although all my all the students I worked with after for the last four years were either fourth or fifth grade. Okay, so and you really like that that age group? Yes, I guess it has to do with I didn't have much experience with the other age group, but the thing is that where what made me want to look into education or what made me really passionate about this field was through the experience or the interactions with those students. So I think that's just natural that I got drawn into that age group based on the students I had the chance to be with. Well, what was it about those kids that really, what did you find that was so interesting that made you want to go into teaching? I mean, was there a certain experience or was there a certain thing or perspective or the way that those, you know, kids approached things? Um, I think I just simply enjoyed the balance between having a genuine discussion and just conversations as well as sometimes having to actually be the older mentor, the mentor figure to them and actually teach, not not teach them lessons, but to give some insights as an older student. So I really enjoy the balance between being able to just simply be myself and enjoy the conversations and and the discussions I had with them and being able to have some responsibility and just open myself up to be a bit of a leader mentor for them to develop their social skills, their, their, I guess, some, sometimes their language skills to open up with others. And you've done tutoring as well, right? Uh, yes, I've been tutoring for about three, four years now. And what do you tutor? Mm, again, please? And what are you tutoring? What did you? Oh. T- and you're still tutoring, actually. Ah, uh, yes, I still tutor one student. Yeah, so, so you. The st- tutoring I've been do- doing for the longest time has been tutoring EAL English to a non-native 
um, speak or two. Um, this student, she was in, I believe she was in second or third grade when we started off. She's currently in, in sixth grade. So、uh, during these years, we've been working together to develop her English skills, both in verbal and written. Okay. But you've also tutored Japanese as well, right? Uh, yes. Um, I actually am way more confident in my Japanese skills, both, you know, in speaking and writing. So, um, I've tutored one student in their, um, native IB Japanese essay writing and another, um, elementary school student in their intermediate Japanese because They have a, some background as they have one of their parents is Japanese, but they have been in the international system the whole time, so they do not have the, enough skills to be considered natives level. So I was there to help them further develop their Japanese skills. Okay. All right. So, you've worked with you know, that age group for a while, and then、yeah. you decided that yeah, this would be a good group to work with, and you're really interested in doing that. And you enrolled at McGill because of、uh, their education program. Yes. And yeah, I, remember that, that I remember when you figured out that that was the, good, that was the deciding point, was that the school had to have an education program. And then you enrolled in McGill, and then suddenly COVID 19 hit. So, you've been Doing the online learning thing the whole time, right? It's completely online. Yeah. T- tell us, like, what does that feel like? I mean, what do, you, what do you think you're missing? What do you, you know, good points, bad points, or bad points, and only no good points? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Well, now that I finished a good whole semester, I actually I think it's, I'm. In a pretty good place right now.、Um, I'm, there were highs and lows. At those, I was like, okay, when is this going to end? I just can't take it anymore. But now that it's done, I'm pretty satisfied with what I got out of it. And it wasn't as bad as I sometimes feared it would have been. So, what I really. Should I start with the. Should I start off being positive or should I just. Go bam and critical. This is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, so. What, 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 positive? What's that? I don't understand positive. Okay.、No. Why don't you start with,、um, start with the critical things, the things you thought that didn't go so well? Okay, so the biggest thing to address as an international student time zones. This、yeah. is Japan here, Madil's in Canada, so. There is a time difference in the time zone, and、um, the synchronous classes really gave me a di- hard time.、Uh, one class was from 7 in the morning, the other was from 10 30 at night. On the same day? On the same day, yes. And each class was for three hours. Right. So that was, to be honest, very unpleasant for me.、Mm. Okay. Were most of your classes synch- synchronous or asynchronous?、Uh, 
Um, so I, for my first semester, I had to take four courses. And two of the courses were fully synchron- synchronous. So only synchronous course classes or sessions, I would say. Um, whereas the other two were asynchronous. The professor posted videos. So we had to watch them take notes and be responsible with catching up on those. Did you have any contact with other students? Barely, but um, I, this one course, um, I believe it was called Philosophical Foundations. Um, We were required to have do group tasks where we had to cooperate and basically summarize the readings and have a discussion and talk write about that. So I was paired up with a single student in the same time zone to work with, and we got along pretty well. So, you know, we became somewhat friends, I would say. Hmm. But other than that... Distance friends. Ah, yes. Very distant. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... Other than that, um, I had some interactions with uh, during my synchronous classes, but nothing really went to went beyond classmates, I would say. And you were submitting a bunch of papers and assignments all the time. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about so McGill. McGill has a pretty extensive program of observation and actual student teaching, right? Yes, I believe it's on the extensive side compared to what at least I know. Like, for example, I've heard that Japanese education programs, like when we compare the time for observations and student teaching, it's vastly different. Okay, so why don't we go through that? In your first year, you already completed your first what they call field experience, right? Yes, and that's a kind of an observation. Yes, yeah, since let's be honest, how am I supposed to teach after just taking four courses on just okay, philosophical foundations, communication and education, um, history and geography of Canada, and educational psychology? They can't expect me uh, to suddenly go into the classroom and teach. With Why real not? students. Why not? Unless they don't care about how the students come out. So, yeah, I basically was there to observe rather than to be a student teacher. Right. So the first one field experience is observation. And then when's your next, what, for lack of a better term, your next field experience? I believe it's next year, maybe in another year and a half or so. Okay. In your entire time at McGill, how many field experiences will you have and like how long are they? Do you have you gone through the program to get familiar with it enough for that? Uh, okay, I should have prepared this better, but the last time I really read through the catalog was when I did my field experience, which is about two, three weeks ago. So um this might I this might not be the most accurate. Explanation, but I believe we have one every year, year one, year two, year three, and year four. And they become 
long, I believe longer, but definitely more con- condensed or richer with amount of responsibility you take, the amount of teaching you do, how close you are to a home, to be a homeroom teacher, especially in the elementary school setting. And I think it sums up to about 700 hours. That's a yep. lot. Yeah. So let's say 700 hours. Let's say seven. That's 100 days. Is that's it? One, okay. It's about three months. It seems it should be. Maybe. I, well, I'm thinking of weeks and things. So okay. let's see. Seven hours for 50 hours a week. 700. Eh, okay. Let's do the math. I don't want to do math. I don't want to do the math either. Yeah, that's one of the good things about being majoring is you don't have to do math anymore because you're not. Yes, like <laughs> that really took off all the stress for me in this first semester. I didn't have to do math. Do Do you have to take a stats course? I believe so at some point, but um, I've been really enjoying my academics since, unlike high school or any other education I had so far, I didn't have to take math for the first time ever. I'm sorry, all my math teachers. I genuinely like you all, but it's just (laughs) not my forte. (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's kind of go into the teaching thing. You, you did what three weeks of student teaching, but it was a little different. Usually you would have done this in Montreal, and it would have been arranged by McGill, right? Yes. But because of COVID, they tr- basically had you arrange for yourself, right? Usually, as you said, um, McGill finds a school for the students, and they contact the schools. They get organize everything, and we basically are told which school to go about a week before. The place mm-hmm. the observation starts, but in my case, um, what happened was due to all the COVID pandemic situation, the school I was the university found or found available was um, rejected me at first due to them not accepting any outsiders, even the parents right now to obviously for safety reasons with the pandemic. And so back then, um, the field experience wasn't canceled for everyone. Dude. So I really freaked out. I was like, okay, I can't just go to a public Japanese school because um, Magil expects us to do our placement in a Canadian school system. So if this was the case, I probably had to go to Tokyo to do my field experience, which is pretty far away. And yeah, just a l- little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Nothing too serious. Yeah, but so what I decided was to just give it a shot and contact the school because I just graduated from there. Mm. Well, McGill actually contacted CA, right? Canadian Academy and asked them and they initially rejected. Yep. 
because they just said for safety reasons, right? Yes. And then you thought you might then – what happened? McGill told you to contact them or did you um, do that on your own? How would that work out? So I might be a bit repetitive, but back then this field experience wasn't canceled, so everyone was expected to do this during this time. So I really had to find a place to do this. So even Magil was, okay, where should we do this? And I'm like, seriously, you asked me that? I just, like, I barely know anything about the school system. And you asked me to, like, solve the issue. And, well, yeah, so I started panicking. As I said, I didn't want to go to Tokyo. So the only solution I could really think of was to... Just contact the school myself, tell them that it was actually me, an alum- alumnus, that it was, is wishing to go in to observe. And may I thought maybe that might change their decision. So I requested module if I could um, requ- request contact my- them myself and they gave me special permission to do so. They usually never allow students to handle the or handle the placement, but I was lucky enough okay. to do so. So they were flexible? Yes, both module and CA were very nice. They were okay. flexible. Okay, and so what? you contacted CA, and then what happened? They immediately said yes within the <laughs> same day. I know. That was great. And they even, yeah, they said what? They even said we didn't realize it was you. And of course, we're happy to have you. Yes, that was a great feeling. God, that must, yeah, that must have felt good, right? Thank you, CA. Yeah. Yes, we're grateful there. Okay, so you get, it's all gets set up, you go in, and then you got to get ready. What did you feel like before you started? I mean, Butterflies in your stomach, nervous. What kind of thoughts were going through your head before you, you know, the week before, once everything was set? What were you thinking about? Um, I was very scared and very worried, nervous, whatever word that fits this emotion, I think. But um, I was kind of, to be honest, I was regretting that I kind of, pushed myself to do this right now because right after I got a yes from CA, Module announced that the field experience is officially canceled <laughs> due to COVID. So You could have delayed it for a while, yeah. And it wouldn't have been a problem. I wouldn't have to go to Tokyo either, eh? But I really felt that I wasn't ready both emotionally and in terms of my skills and knowledge right now. So I... I was actually really thinking, oh, I shouldn't have, oh, why did I put myself in this situation? Oh my God, I'm not ready. I I still feel like a fifth grader. And I just, my inner 12-year-old was just starting to really freak out. Okay. So when you talk about like you didn't feel emotionally ready, because after this, I want to talk a little bit about you know, what you learned, your ideas about teaching before you went in and how it changed afterwards. But emotionally, you just felt like you weren't ready. What does that mean? Um, well, Can you explain that a little more? I 
I don't know if this applies to everyone, but I feel like I'm still a student rather than a teacher. And especially,、um, I just graduated high school. And I, for my entire life, I lived as a student and never as a teacher. I may have done some tutoring, but, but I was still in the position as a student tutor and not a teacher. And also, it, I think it has to do a lot with the school. I was going in to observe was the school I've attended since third grade. So it felt more like I was going back to school as a student for another school year rather than going in as a teacher. So、okay. that really made me. I, I might still feel like a fifth grader anytime. I still feel that I'm pretty childish, but going into that same environment. That I was act in when I was actually a fifth grader really set the stage up for me to feel like one even more, I would have to say. Right, because usually you didn't go into the, right, at CA, it's a complete K through 12 program. So、yep. you hadn't been in the elementary school side for a long time, right? A long time. So, okay, so I remember we, um, Mom did some shopping for you, right? You got、yes. some kind of professional looking clothes. And yes, do you that think freaked that, me out. That, yeah, that, talk about how, what do you mean that freaked you out? How did it freak you out? Well, it's that's okay. Going back to high school, I was that kid who didn't really care about what I wore. Where, where all, all the other girls were wearing makeup, had their hair done with their. Um, chic clothing. I was that kid wearing t shirts and Levi's with sneakers. And I never dressed formally or really cared about getting shoes other than sneakers. The, any other type of shoes I wore other than sneakers were the Crocs I wore to take the dog out. Okay, but you also did get your, your junior prom shoes. Right? Oh, yeah, good、outfit. point. Okay. Yeah, so that that's the only、different. exception. Yeah, okay, but, we found okay. the exception to the rule. Yeah, so when I went to Uniqlo and actually got some shirts and some slacks, is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah. Just dressed in monochrome, looked my, in the mirror in the dressing room. I actually had an existential. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't even talk right now, but I really looked at the mirror and thought, who is this person that kind of looks like me? Here you go. You're, you're transitioning from student to now an observer of a classroom, a university student who wants to be a teacher who's going to be observing a classroom. And did you find that? So the outfit kind of helped you make a switch into this new persona that you have to develop. Definitely. From the moment I walked out of home to go buy some lunch in the family mart, to walk to the school campus with all the other students watching on the street,、um, I no longer felt like a student. I wearing, dressed up as an ad- adult, really got my mindset changed. 
it really made me realize that I'm no longer a student, but I am actually in not society, but in the world as an adult, not as a kid anymore. Yeah. You know, a long time ago, this is before you were born, I used to always wear suits and ties, mm. and I used to dress pretty sharply. And one of the things was putting on the suit and taking off the suit really gave me this demarcation of mm. now going to work, teacher. I'm home now. No work. Not a teacher right now. So it was really kind of a nice thing. But now I just dress the same way all the time, so I don't have that um, that kind of demarcation, you know, obvious thing. Okay, so that helped you. So there was this kind of different persona, right? The adult kind of – you felt like you were moving into the adult world. You're seeing students, but you're not part of the group anymore, right? Uh, yes. Um, it really made me realize when I had to – when I wasn't allowed into the campus without the um, – what do you call it? The Name tag? Name tag that said guest. Um, mm-hmm. in CA, um, everyone other than, than the students have to wear a colored name tag, red for teachers, yellow for substitutes and guests, and I believe white for parents. So having to have that name tag added to the adultness or the, that, um, realization. And... So, okay, so let's go through it. So you go in and you walk into the school, you show your ID, you do all the protocols, the COVID-19 protocols, et cetera. And then on the first day, they have you go into a classroom, Um, right? To be specific, classrooms. Okay. So let's talk about the first classroom you walked into. Or that day, when you walked into different classrooms, uh. What do you think the students saw? What did the students think when you showed up? Did they know you were there? Did the teachers introduce you? Or did you just go to the back and silently observe? Or what happened? Um, That really depended on the teacher, a specific teacher, because some teachers um, recognized me and introduced me to their students, whereas some just continued their classes as nothing has happened. And Mm -hmm. in terms of the students, I think they were all confused at first with this unknown person wearing somewhat excessively formal clothing, walking into their classrooms and taking notes. So right away on the first day, you got exposed to the different styles of teachers. Yes. As a non-student. Okay. So you did that and you observed different classes. Um, How long did you do that, bouncing around to like different classes during the day? Bouncing around or going through these different classrooms, that lasted for about two weeks. For the first two weeks, out of the whole three weeks, I went around different classrooms of different grade levels, ranging from K to five. What was it like to watch the different styles of teachers and how the different levels? I, I mean, based on what you kind of had learned at McGill and 
You know, did you notice anything from what you'd learned in McGill and say, ah, yeah, I understand what they're doing there, or ah, I see this, or ah, yeah, that seems to be true, that works or that doesn't work? I mean, did you have any of those aha moments? Um, at times, yes, um, such as um, how the teachers decided to um, maybe not arrange but set up their classrooms, the environment they created. Um, of course, a kindergarten classroom would look vastly different from a grade five classroom, but even though how they arrange the seats, the seatings, what they put on the walls, the colors they used really communicated different things they wanted to express, or I can't find the right word, but to emphasize, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, so these were things you would never have noticed as a student, right? Well, when I was a student, I was busy actually listening to what the teacher was saying rather than how the teacher was talking. And I was just thinking about myself, where to sit, and about my own environment rather than the entire classroom environment. So by having to... By going into the classroom as someone who's not taking the class, not attending the class, um, it really opened up my perspective to realize all the different things. Okay. Well, what things stood out? I mean, you just you said that the difference was focusing on what the teacher was saying, not how the teacher was saying it. And that reverberated for me because I remember when I had been teaching for a while – and then I went into a master's program, and it took me weeks before I would stop watching how the teacher was teaching. I was so focused on watching how the t- person was teaching, the professor was teaching, that I actually was missing things that the teacher was saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, teachers had different styles. But let's go back to anything that you had learned really resonate when you were observing. I think we talked a little bit about this before. Yes, um, I think um, it might be some a bit of a dull statement, but um, I really was fascinated by how the teachers ask questions to the students to pull sometimes pull out um, an answer that the teacher knew that the students were capable of answering, or sometimes just to remind the students of certain things. Um, I I believe it was in my communications course where we looked at questions, what different types of questions and what they are, what those questions allow for in discussions or conversations. And I think the combination of learning, having that knowledge developed through the course and walking into the classroom, not as a student, but as an observer, allowed me to connect the dots between the theory and practice. Yeah, I think that goes back to the convergent and divergent questions. I prefer the divergent questions. Definitely. I prefer open-ended questions that... Me too. Yeah, I like to give the students an opportunity to take the question where they can, rather than just like, you know... Who's buried in Grant's tomb, for example, is the famous question. But that part 
fit. What about your ideas about teaching? Uh, you know, you. I think every student develops kind of these ideas about what makes a good teacher, what's good teaching. Did any of that change for you or get reinforced for you? For example, I think when I watch students who are doing student teaching, because that's part of my job, the students, the teachers usually do not ask divergent questions. They mm -hmm. ask convergent questions or they run a real teacher-centered, you know, lesson rather than focusing on the students. What about, what did you see? Did you see student-centered teaching, problem-based learning? Um, um, I, what did you see? I saw a mix of both, and I think the te the, all the teachers I observed masterfully um, selected the appropriate styles according to the activity and what their objective was for that lesson. For example, um, when a teacher was returning an opinion essay to her students, I believe this was in fifth grade, um, she wanted some students to go through the structure with her while others moved on to other activities. So she had the them sit in a circle around her and they went through a basic structure of an essay. And I think that w I s what I saw there was the teacher making the decision to have some students have that students center their more ind independent individual work for those who who were rather ahead with their writing skills. And for those who seemed like they needed more support in their organization in writing, she had a more, I guess, traditional teacher-centered session to enforce necessary, necessary writing skills. So you got a good demonstration of fit the teaching yes. to the needs of the student. And so... In addition to your teaching experience or observing classes, and we'll get into that final week. So you're moving around to different classes, observing, taking notes. But CA did this great thing. They actually allowed you to do what I thought was pretty amazing. They let you sit in on the faculty development uh, and the yes, planning that sessions, was amazing. right? Yeah, talk about that. What what made it amazing? I mean, uh, yes, it's something you've never seen before, um, right? It definitely scared me because the teacher meeting was when you something as a student when you walk into the class a classroom and if you see the teachers were having a meeting you say sorry and immediately close the door and leave. And now I was invited to one. run away. <laughs> so it was basically for me um if classrooms and lessons were a stage play I feel like the 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 meetings I were I was I had the opportunity to attend were the backstage with all the performers, the directors just coming together to get ready for the performance, like make last minute adjustments. So it was, in a sense, really mm. magical to see the the tricks behind the magic. Oh. Nice analogy. 
So yeah, you're getting to watch how the strings are pulled, how the the like the scenery set up, and how the actors are discussing and getting their timing right. And so you were doing, you got to sit in on the yes. planning sessions, and and you said those would be different, right? Like one, you talked about the teachers were just sitting around on the floor with their laptops in front of them, kind of talking and telling stories at one point, and sometimes they just. Diverged into just some casual talking about how they wanted to eat yakiniku, and they. <laughs> so it was very casual. <laughs> this was a grade level meeting, so all the teachers that were involved in a single grade level came together to discuss how to proceed with their upcoming units and activities they were going to do. In the following weeks, and then you also got to go to the faculty development meeting, right? Which is all school, all faculty. Was the K two five the primary school meeting, which was I think, and mm-hmm. by its nature, more formal with um, the learning leaders of that of the primary school having a presentation with actual slides projected on the big screen. And the teachers listening rather than discussing as a whole. Yes, there were some、mm. time for short discussions within the table tables, table groups, but it was nothing like the grade、mm-hmm. level meeting where they all sat in a circle and just through passed out ideas. So it sounds nice that CA has this nice combination of. Formal kind of organized, structured kind of meeting, and then that more open-ended, relaxed kind of situation. Which did you prefer? I was way more comfortable in the small, casual disc meetings.、Um, I think it's it fit me more since there were at at least as a student observer,、um, it was less. Let's be honest; it was less scary with less teachers, and. There, it had that atmosphere of there are no wrong answers. Just toss out anything to, if you think that there's if you have an idea that could help the students. And I believe、mm. it's of course casual by the nature of it being restricted for a single grade level. So. The purpose was to actually plan the activities, whereas the department, the faculty development meetings were more grand in terms of what they were doing. It was more of a, not a lecture, but what do you call it?、Um, not a workshop, but rather the there were teachers presenting and teachers listening. Whereas、uh, grade level、mm. meetings were just discussions and brainstorming. Did this like surprise you? Does this like, you know, your your preconceived ideas about what would happen at these meetings? Were you surprised, or did it confirm, or did it meet with your expectations?、Um, I believe, as much as the experience being very new and refreshing and very magical to me,、um, it was as what I expected a teacher meeting to be like. What I imagined, student. Just tossing out ideas for the casual ones,、mm. and teachers talking about 
some protocols or reinforcing new styles they want the teachers to write the report cards in. It was not in a bad way, just as I expected. And what about what you what you've been learning at McGill? Got your courses, right? Communication, education, philosophy of education. I guess mm. educational psychology, right? Um, uh, the geography and it? history of Canada. I forgot the actual name, but it's basically that, right? And then there, okay, right. And then there's field experience, etc. And were there um, any any ideas or theories that you learned that really were like, oh wow? It's true. It works. It's there. I got that. Um, so um, with my currently very limited knowledge on this field, I I think I was really able to see um, the zone of proximal development really happen in front of my eyes. Especially, yes, the ZPD. Wow. So ZPD. <laughs> It really sounds like some policeman. The ZPD. (laughs) Vygotsky. Yeah. You are now entering the ZPD. It sounds like some, like, you know, communist country, Eastern Bloc. Yeah, the Z sound really does Transition zone or something. Tell me about that. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's the PD sounds like police department, too. But when you, you talk about that, so that's the idea that knowledge is socially constructed and it's by the the exchange or interaction between people who Mm. know more and people who know less, let's say, or have more expertise or less expertise. Um, So for example, um, in math, math classes, um, students were paired up to solve problems. And at least in my perspective, it's, natural for the students to have to be in different places in terms of understanding in mathematics. So I really was able to see some students Mm -hmm. who were ahead of the pack to be there to explain to students who were struggling and to help them reach an understanding or the answer to the problem. And I believe the student would not be able to get the answer if they did not get the help. But um, just in short, I think it really demonstrated the ZPD in terms of the student becoming capable of solving the problem once they had that little support from their peers who knew a bit more. I love I love group work. I love having my students work in groups and helping each other and working together. And I really believe mm-hmm. that's how they learn best. Give them a problem to solve. I think when you were growing up, remember, I always mm-hmm. told you, work the problem, work the problem, work the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's a nightmare. No, bring it up. But, you know, that real belief that I, t- I do that with my students, which is, come on, get together, help each other solve the problem. Don't come to me because you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Try to you know, push through. And it's always exciting when I see the students push mm-hmm. through, when they make that break, you know, breakthrough. It's really exciting. So you, you went through this experience and uh, yeah. you came out <laughs> still wanting to be a teacher. What's next for you? I mean, you'll yeah. continue, you'll do your second semester courses. 
Yeah, but I think my second semester kind of takes a break from education. I have room for some um, courses that are outside. Ah, yeah. You mean elective? electives? Yeah. I will still, of okay. course, have courses on education, but I'll have more room for other things. So I'm really excited to see how I would be able to connect things that were not exactly meant for education. What are you going to be taking? I, what are you going to be taking next semester? What classes? One was called The Historian's Quest, which I think looks at history through a more, I guess, critical view of who wrote that that critical analysis of who created that history, the biases inherent in the field, and just not not actually simply about learning history, but learning how to look at history, interpret history rather than just learning history itself. Mm. Yeah, that's why I chose to took it. Um, and and I believe the other one was called um, Religion and Sexuality. I honestly really don't know what hmm. exactly to expect from this course, but um, I'm really excited as I really never had the chance to really delve into either religion or um, sexuality, LGBTQ+. Plus. Um, since um, I've read Silence by Shusaku Endo, I've been really interested in religion, maybe not religion itself, but how people perceive religion and not maybe, I I might not get this in the course, but the psychology behind religion, why people really are devout, why people believe mm. and why people value religion, that really interests me. So as much as not, especially as someone who's not religious at all, mm -hmm. it really okay. fascinates me to be able to delve into that world. So okay. I'm really looking forward to that. I, As much as I don't know what to expect, I have really high expectations. Okay. So those are two classes. Do you have any other classes the second semester? Um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. That's another religion course. That's, um, It's actually a requirement from the education department. So... But yeah, that that would be very cool as I barely have any mm -hmm. knowledge on religions in general. So, and the other one is equ equity and in education. Mm -hmm. I believe that's okay. what it was called. And so I'm really looking forward for that as well since um, mm -hmm. the educational courses so far were more focused on the pedagogy rather than the social factors and behind education. Sound interesting. So it's going to get kind of more of a liberal arts kind of approach. That's very cool. You get a semester of liberal arts. Yeah. What do you think would be interesting? Um, I think that really depends on what, how many of the classes are synchronous right. because the synchronous classes can really be a pain. And McGill's 100% online. for uh, Yes, at least for the courses I take. Right, so we're hoping you get a chance to get to Montreal, hopefully by <laughs> September, if this uh, pandemic ever ends. Okay, I think it's a good time to finish up. So thank you for taking the time to talk with you know me about this. I got at least a little bit better idea of what you've experienced. 
And it's really cool for me because I think I told you when you were going off to your observation at Canadian Academy how much I envied you because you were going in totally fresh and open-eyed, whereas I'm so you know, jaded. I mean, I think I know what I know, and I'm pretty sure mm. that I have good, clear ideas about education. And I would have probably seen things completely differently from you. So I think that it's, you know, this is pretty cool. And maybe what we should do is each year, once every year, we should bring that you onto the fun. show so that we can get a snapshot of your progression as you become a full-scale, you know, full-fledged There's teacher. There's a demand I would... That'd be pretty be yeah, that like would be really, really, really nice. Happy to come back. Well, I'm sure what everybody will say is get Charles off and keep Sophie on. Is my guess is what will happen from our our, our audience. So it'll still be TTT, <laughs> and you could become a co-host along T-Sui. with Tony. Mm. Yes, right. Three teachers talking. You're right. But you know, for me, I you know, it's such a a thrill mm. that you're going into education. You know, I uh, it makes two generations of teachers in the family now. And I think that's really cool. And it's going to, I know I've been really thrilled to watch you develop and grow, you know, intellectually and, you know, as you you. grow as a teacher, it's going to be a really amazing thing to see. So thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for taking the time. Okay. All right. So this is Two Teachers Talking. Charles Wiz, usually with Tony Silva. And we've had as our guest, Sophie Wiz, my daughter. And we've been talking about education, and you all know where to find us, two teachers talking at gmail.com, blah, 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 blah. And we hope that um, everyone, you, know, you have a wonderful 2021 since this is the first episode of the new year. And let's hope that 2021 is better and happier for everyone. Okay, so th- Sophie, thanks again and be well. 